Hello and welcome to the Untitled Gen X podcast. Podcast hosted by two childhood best friends dedicated to the pop culture that raised us. I'm Kate, a writer, a midwife, a current day pop culture know nothing, but nobody puts baby in a corner when it comes to the pop culture of my youth. And I'm Lori, a writer and pop culture lover who's still not over how my so-called life left us hanging. If every single day of the last 11 months has felt like the worst deja vu of your life, today's episode is for you. Indeed. Today we're talking about 1993's blockbuster film, Groundhog Day, starring Bill Murray, Andy McDowell, and Chris Elliott. But before we get into it, if you're enjoying the pod, we'd like to remind you to rate and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And just a friendly reminder, we're on Instagram and Facebook at the Untitled Gen X Podcast. Kate, we have been sheltering in place for so period, damn, period, long, period. And this is why Groundhog Day is the perfect choice. It really, really is. Because, <laughs> and I have to say, like, uh, my life was a little more exciting than some people's at the onset of the pandemic. So uh-huh. I didn't really, like, get stuck in the same place until May, right? Between okay. March and May. Because you did uh, make a move. Right. I moved and then there was the pandemic brought on some roommate issues. So I had to do a little shuffling always with safety in mind, Uh but it wasn't really until May that I kind of settled in where I am now. So I've only been doing this since late May and it still feels like a really long time. So for everyone who's been doing this since early March, my heart goes out to you. Yeah, it's been tough. I mean, I've had kids in school at home since, well, they shut everything down March 13th. I do feel like I'm in my own personal Groundhog Day. I mean, I really do. I know my kids feel that way. And it's not that we don't like each other. We still miraculously enjoy each other. But every day is much the same. Yeah, let me tell you. So I live by myself. I'm a woman of a certain age with two cats. (laughs) (laughs) Cat lady. (laughs) And it's really the same for me because there's not even like the differences in people to, you know, and their moods and what they say that day and whatever. It's just literally like, okay. I have found myself in recent months just trying to do (laughs) anything different to make the day feel different. Like today, if I have to go to the grocery store because I don't go out very often, Today, I'm going to wear a skirt to the grocery store. Like, it's this wild, crazy thing that I would never normally do. And that's not true. Like, in life, I would normally do it. But in quarantine times, I don't have a reason to ever put on a skirt, as casual as it might be. And I'll do it just to make something feel different. Right. Like, I think- Slap me in the face, Rita, please, with Groundhog Day. Like, do something- to like kind of jolt me out of this. So I feel like this day is different than the last 300 days. Right. Like I told you yesterday, I was like, why am I cranky? Oh, I wore the button pants today. Oh, and you oh were like, why would you do that? And I, I said, said, why I do just... you hate yourself? That was <laughs> that was what I said to you. Why do you hate yourself? Why? Why not wear the comfortable clothes? But I just <laughs> wanted something different. I was going out for like a brief period of time. And yeah, and I put on the button pants. 
But the other thing that I have started doing, Lori can attest to the fact that somewhere like in my early 20s, I sort of abandoned makeup to the point that when I was going to my brother's wedding, I had to stick a post-it note on my front door that said pack makeup because it's that's just, not a thing I would pack. Right. Because it's just so yeah. out of my awareness. And recently I have suddenly been like, let's put on makeup every day to go nowhere. Yeah. Anything to make me feel a little bit alive. Right. A little different. Yeah. So I feel like this was very timely. This show, be- show, this movie, uh, I sound like my grandma. Are you into <laughs> the show? <laughs> because there is a, a kind of greater message about how do you make the same day meaningful? Right. Like how do you break out of the monotony of your present situation. And I do think this is incredibly timely because this is going to be published on Groundhog Day. Happy Groundhog Day. Happy Groundhog Day, y'all. Can we look forward to six more weeks of winter? Well, so this is interesting for me because I moved to the West Coast from the Midwest and prior to that, the East. And so I forgot, I grew up in California, but then I lived all over. Uh, I forgot that when you live on the West Coast, Groundhog Day is kind of this like cute, quaint little like, ha ha ha, Groundhog Day. Right. And when you live in places where there's hardcore winter, you're like... <laughs> Like, did it see its shadow? What <laughs> like happened? It matters. How much longer? <laughs> because if you're in Punxsutawney, you want to know. Right. Like you <laughs> definitely want to know. You're like, you are over winter and you are ready. Like I always tell people, I'm like, winter is so fun until like the winter holidays are over. And then you're kind of like, oh, and I'm done. okay, it's okay. Like January is fine. Yeah. Winter. And then by the time February comes, you're, you're like, done. Wow, I'm over it. And then March comes. And like in March, I often have just abandoned my winter coat and switched to fleece, even if it's zero degrees outside, because I'm just done with the winter coat. Because you're of the mindset, if you wear spring, it will come. It's just like, I cannot put this thing on again. And then what's really horrible is every once in a while, you'll get a snowstorm or a blizzard in Mm. May. Oh my gosh, it's so late. Especially being from Southern California, like we try to conjure fall like we try to conjure you guys try hard. seasons get, yeah we work like hats and really really hard while it's still like 75 degrees at the 100 percent. but you actually took the time to look into the history of groundhog day which is very interesting like the holiday itself what did you learn so what prompted this is that at some point he says you're talking about bill murray's character phil yes similarly named to punks I have a hard time with this word. I literally wrote it out phonetically. (laughs) You know what? I don't think I knew there was an N before the X until watching this movie because Newsflash, I had never seen this movie until (gasps) I watched it for this Classic. (laughs) I love this film. I love Bill Murray. I know you do too. I do too. It just sort of slipped through the cracks and then it became this big cultural thing thing that like everybody knew and I understood the premise of it sure and I so I'll be totally honest I was like how could that movie be good how could a movie about the same day happening over (laughs) and over and over again be good so I just really wasn't interested right and I was so wrong it's so endearing I enjoyed it so much probably particularly because I watched it in the middle of a time where what does he say 
What would you do if you were stuck in one place and every day was exactly the same Mm -hmm. and nothing that you did mattered? And I feel like this is the central theme of this film. Like, that's the question. Right. And that's the reality. (laughs) What would you do? And I'm like, what would I do? Well, I baked banana bread a lot in the beginning. (laughs) And then I went through a phase where I did a lot of hill repeats for working out. Uh And then I sort of went through a hibernation phase. Uh And I feel like I'm starting to maybe come out of that hibernation phase. I mean, I feel like I'm going through the stages that Phil went through of like, how do you deal? Like, where do you find acceptance? Where do you find anger? Absolutely. <laughs> like throughout the film, Phil progresses through Elizabeth Cooper Ross's five stages of grief, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Well, if that just doesn't say at all in terms of how we've all been processing our emotions throughout this entire pandemic. Right. And an interesting side note about the stages of grief is that, first of all, they weren't, everybody always thinks that, that it is um, the stages of of grieving a person. Right. But it actually was created as a lens to look at people who know that they're going to die, people who um, oh. have a terminal diagnosis and how they come to acceptance. But also the fact that people are like, oh, you progress neatly through these stages of grief. You do this stage and this stage. And that is not true. And I think that the pandemic and our experience of it has proved that is that you go in and out, you dip in and out. Sometimes you're like in a great place of acceptance. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you're like in rage. And sometimes you're like, this just can't possibly be happening still. No, it's really true. And like, even the idea to start this podcast between Kate and I was born out of the pandemic. It was born out Mm -hmm. of like, boredom and restlessness and a need for something fun and positive to throw (laughs) out into the world and into our lives. Any given day, one of us is doing okay and the other one's not, or we're both doing okay that day, or we're both having a shit day. And you can see the stages of grief that we're going in and out of all the time. There's backsliding, there's progress, there's, you know, we're kind of all over the place. And I mean, Phil's character, his progress is a little more linear, but ours is not quite so tidy. No, it's all (laughs) over the board. It's like a scatter plot of (laughs) emotions. That's right. So I'm very glad that I watched it and I really enjoyed it. But it also, there's a line in there where he says like, they're not even doing this right. They used to pull the hog out and they used to eat it. And I was like, they did? (laughs) seems terrible. So I decided to look into it Uh a little bit. And so what I learned from the interwebs is that it initially came out of Candlemas. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Candlemas, Candlemas, which is a Christian holiday that I don't know a lot about. Christian schoolgirl, any any knowledge of this? Okay, no (laughs) No knowledge, no thoughts. I I don't feel so bad. (laughs) So uh, anyway, it had to do with I believe lighting candles in the darkness, you know, that kind of thing. And so there was this idea that if it was sunny on Candlemas, which was February 2nd, that it would be a long, that spring was still six weeks away or was still far away. Interesting. So that's where it started. But then in Germany, somehow they involved an animal in it with the sunlight and somehow it got transferred into like, obviously, if it's sunny, you're going to cast a shadow. And if it's cloudy, you're not going to cast a shadow. Although science does not support this fact that if it's sunny on February 2nd, it really Mm. has no correlation to like how long winter is going to last, unfortunately. So in these areas of German heritage, 
they started to use animals and the animals that they started to use, it was a badger. Oh, okay. And maybe you remember honey badger, right? Which is a particularly fierce kind of badger, but badgers are not friendly creatures. Okay. They're fierce. And so the idea of being like, let me hold up a badger (laughs) is kind of ridiculous. But as we know, the badger in this movie, Scooter, 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 the badger, bit Bill Murray three times. Is this true? Yes. Yeah. And also there was a famous Groundhog's Day where like the the guy who like leans in, is it the mayor? Who is it? I don't know. The guy leans in to like hear what Punxsutawney Phil is going to say. And he bit his ear. (laughs) It's it's an aggressive move. (laughs) It's like, get out of my way. In a sense, like the poor ground, like do groundhogs, do they hibernate? Like, are they pulling something out of hibernation to like appease the masses with midwinter entertainment? Well, (laughs) I mean, as much as I want to emerge victoriously into the real world when all of this is over, I kind of feel like I'm going to be a little bit aggressive and not in a good headspace when it comes time to do it. And so I think we should take a lesson from this movie. (laughs) And think about what did Bill Murray's character do to make it change? Let's all do that. Let's do those things. Okay, well, (laughs) let's get into it then. Yes. Okay, so this film was released on February 12th, 1993, which is sort of a missed opportunity. That's not Groundhog Day. That was a missed opportunity. Yeah. Columbia Pictures, is that who it was? What's up? Yeah, what's going on? So it domestically earned $70.9 million, and it was one of the highest grossing films of 93. It won the BAFTA Award for Best Original Screenplay. And it seems as though the love for this movie has only grown with time. Like, the movie did well, it was successful, but its place in pop culture, it's probably more popular now than it ever was at that time. I think that that's so true of like most pop culture classics is that even if they're really popular when they first come out, it's the time that they sort of percolate and people have time to really enjoy it and come back to it. Uh, Much like Die Hard as a Christmas film. Right. Like (laughs) enough time to make it like a favorite on repeat. Yeah. And for the role of Phil Phil Collins. (laughs) (laughs) No, Phil Collins just... Not Wait, what big. was the name of Phil Collins' band? I can't think of it right now. Well, he moment. was in Genesis, and Genesis, then he yeah, struck out on his own yeah. as a solo artist <laughs> for the role of Phil Connors. <laughs> Phil Collins was not associated with this film, nor was his band Genesis. No. <laughs> so they were thinking of some other popular actors at the time. One of them was Tom Hanks, but they decided, no, Tom Hanks is too nice of a guy to play this role. And, you know, I kind of agree. Yeah, I have to agree. Uh, Michael Keaton, who I think could Mr. have... Mom. Mr. Mom. He could have... I think he would have been great in the role. But the truth of the matter is, he didn't really understand the script. So he turned it down. But to be fair... To be fair, the script went through a lot of changes and there were a lot of big question marks. And so writer Danny Rubin had a hard time coming up with the cause for Phil's time loop. He was considering technological, magical, celestial origins and decided ultimately 
that not having an explanation made Phil's struggle more relatable because, quote, none of us knows exactly how we got here either, which is true. But in the script, there were just sort of like... Wait, I just want to go back to that because I think that is one of the genius parts of this film is that, you know, you don't have that moment where like you see mystical light falling from the heavens or like somebody, you know, casts a spell or whatever. It's just like... He just wakes up one day, and for no reason, the day keeps repeating. It's a literal what the actual fuck. That's right. what it is. Right. So it just makes it more realistic, right? Like, that you can think, like, oh, oh what did that happen to me? Yeah. Why me? <laughs> what did I do to, like, cause this? Right. And what do I need to do to get out of it? Exactly. In Ruben's first draft of the screenplay, it ended with Phil waking on February 3rd and Rita now in a time loop. Oh, wait. So at the end, like he gets out of it and she she gets in it. Yeah. So I think the original screenplay was sort of like toying with a lot of different ideas and the repeat of the days and how long did that actually last and all these big questions, I think maybe were sort of left open-ended or undeveloped. And this is why the script was probably confusing to Keaton. Oh, I'm sure. Like, I'm sure that it took a while for it to get refined into what it is Mm -hmm. that we see now. And, you know, you had mentioned that 38 days are depicted in the film. Yes. That the director suggested it was more like 30 to 40 years. And then somebody else, uh, Mental Floss in 2009 uh, said that, but then another source said that like, no, it was 10 years. And I was, we were talking about, well, how could you have gotten that message across? But it's just Oh, no, this would have gone away, too. I was going to say, like, couldn't he have kept, like, tick marks? But no, everything disappeared. Everything starts over. Remember when he breaks the pencil and puts it on the alarm clock and he wakes up? Learning to play the piano is really the only way we can, like, track his progress. (laughs) So the film was actually filmed over 86 days in Woodstock, Illinois, not Punxsutawney. Yeah, I mean, eventually... A lot of those places start to look the same, particularly in winter. Yeah. And everything is... <laughs> no leaves on the trees. No. Kind yeah. of flat. <laughs> so let's talk about Phil. Phil. Bill Murray Phil. Or Bill Murray Phil, not Punxsutawney Phil. So we first meet Phil when he's doing the weather segment. So he's a weatherman. And yeah, he's kind of a dick. We learn that like... He's totally a dick. Oh, hey, I'm just here for now. Like, I have a major network interested in him. And did you spot that his assistant, Kenny, in the newsroom was Stanford Blanche from Sex and the City? Oh, it was, wasn't it? Fun. I didn't even put that together, but yes. Stanford, I love you. His assistant tells him, you're going to like Rita, the new producer. And this is the love interest in the film played by Andy McDowell. I love Andy McDowell. I haven't seen her in anything recently. I like her. And it's interesting. You said that the original person they wanted to play Rita was Tori Amos. Tori freaking Amos. Nobody loves Tori. Actually, there probably are people who love Tori Amos more than me. You love her. I really, yeah. I learned about Tori Amos when I was 15, maybe 16. I don't know. And I, yeah, I've always had a great affinity for her. We have to do an episode on Little Earthquakes or Boys for Pele. We have to. For sure. Absolutely. She is a woman of many talents, but like lead in a romantic, in a (laughs) rom-com. Opposite Bill Murray. Like it's an interesting idea. Yeah, I was like, ah, uh, 
I can't, I'm out. But who knows? Maybe she has untapped potential that I have just not witnessed. She, I mean, she's remarkably, incredibly, amazingly talented. So I don't want it to sound like I'm throwing any shade on Tori Amos. I love her. I just, I feel like Andy McDowell was the perfect actress to play this role. I As feel do like- I, because she has that really sort of like genuine, kind spirit. You just think that she's the sweetest woman in the world. And she probably is. I mean. But it also doesn't feel... It doesn't feel Pollyanna-ish, right? Yes. So she has that. She just makes it very real and very relatable. So yeah. And she has amazing hair. (laughs) Doesn't she? I would love to have hair like that. She has amazing hair and a very earnest spirit. So there you go. So we see them traveling to Punxsutawney for the Groundhog Day Festival. And they're in the news van with, God, love him. I love Chris Elliott, don't you? Chris Elliott. Okay, Larry, the cameraman, Chris Elliott, who, Roland shit, man of Shit's Creek. Right. God, I love that show. Ugh, here's where I have to admit something that's going to anger a lot of people. I like Shit's Creek. Oh, don't even, don't <laughs> even. I enjoyed it. Oh my God. I did cry at the Just end. Stop. Just stop. You're, you're hurting yourself right now. He's hilarious. He also... Uh, one of my favorite characters that he plays is for anybody who really liked How I Met Your Mother, which I don't think you've seen I as haven't. much as I have. He played Lily's dad, and he was always trying to come up with like board games for people to play, <laughs> and they were always just horrible. <laughs> like he has really captured that like quirky character actor character. I love him. So he's the cameraman and we're heading to Punxsutawney, quote, the original weather capital of the world since 1887. Population 6,782. Small town. Small town. We learn more and more that Phil is a diva. He can't stay where they're staying. He has to stay in his own special bed and breakfast. He doesn't want to go to dinner with them. He's above it all. Right. He refers to himself as the talent. Ah, yes. The talent. Which I have a funny story about the talent. Back when I was living in Los Angeles and I was poor and needing to earn money during the summer uh, between school terms, I worked for a temp agency. And one of the jobs they sent me to interview for was with Flint Publications. Uh They publish Hustler. So I had to go down to the, the Flint building in LA and I had to go to HR. And what never occurred to me until that very moment is that like everyone goes through HR, right? Mm-hmm. HR is just HR. And so when you had to sign in, uh, you had to put your name and then you had to say like why you were there. And literally the person ahead of me, it said Bambi talent. And I was like, oh, oh. Bambi, who, you know, I hope got the job that day. Yeah, I hope she did too. And just to be clear, this was like to work in the subscriptions department. Like it was nothing. You know. <laughs> Because they actually publish many things aside from Hustler. Oh, do they? Um, I didn't even know that. They do. But uh, when I sat down in the waiting room, <laughs> it's a very memorable experience. They have magazine racks. Mm-hmm. And I like pulled out a ma- and I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. I was, and like they were all like very adult magazines. And I just kind of was like, I, and this was before, you know, everybody had a phone every place they went. So I was like, oh, I just, I'm, I'm going to sit here. And the woman, uh, the receptionist was like, I have like People Magazine back here. If you'd prefer that, we just aren't allowed to put them out. And I was like, yes, please. Thank you. <laughs> they hide the non-porn. <laughs> 
I know that people enjoy images like that, but like at a job interview, I just couldn't. That's hilarious. So yeah. Anyway, a little off topic. (laughs) So the following morning, this is when Phil wakes up on Groundhog Day at 6 a.m. to I Got You, Babe by Sonny and Cher on his old school alarm clock. And we hear the DJs talking about the day, the weather. And this is the first of many times Phil will go on to wake up at 6 a.m. on Groundhog Day to I Got You, Babe. Right. Until he can exactly quote the DJs. And I feel like that's probably one of the most torturous parts of the whole thing is to wait. Like, first of all, you wake up and there has to be that split second, right? Where you're like, la, la, la. oh, no. <laughs> yes. I mean, haven't you in your life ever been going through something particularly difficult and you're exhausted and you sleep and you wake up in the morning and for a few seconds in the morning, that worry or that problem doesn't exist. And then it just washes over you and you're like, oh yes, I'm dealing with this thing. Oh shit. It's terrible. Yeah. So um, I think that when you lose somebody really significant in your everyday, day-to-day life, that that's exactly the experience that happens is that you have that moment. And then, and then what's interesting is there's this progression where it goes from like, right. And you remember it. And then it slowly becomes just a normal part of your life. Mm -hmm. So then it progresses to like, where you start to remember that you forgot to remember it, like towards the end of the day. And then eventually you just stop thinking about it because it's just become sort of who you are. Uh, And I imagine that probably is what happened eventually with Phil is that eventually he stops having that moment because he just knows, he knows it's going to happen. Right. Because whether or not he actually relived the same day, 30 to 40 years or even 10 years, holy smokes. I didn't realize watching the film that he was in this time loop that long. I mean, I was trying to count days and then I saw online that it said 38 days. I'm like, God, that's a long time to be stuck in this time. Right, but those are only representative. 38 of the real. days versus yeah. 10 versus 30 or 40 years. It's crazy. But let's talk about that first day because he will go on to have the same day over and over again. Right. So he's a real condescending asshole to mm-hmm. the bed and breakfast hostess. Did you actually want to talk about the weather? Or were you just making chit chat? And I'm like, you're such a jerk. So he doesn't give money to the homeless man on the street in the dead of winter. It's freezing. Right. And then he runs into Ned Ryerson, the high school classmate who now sells insurance. Right. Because we've all had that person that you're like, I, uh, I can't get away from this person. This person is really annoying and I can't get away from them. They just right. keep coming at me. And that was the first moment where I was like, oh, this is just going to keep happening to him. This is terrible. <laughs> yeah. Like this is what you have to look forward to. And Phil has no interest in Ned Ryerson at all. He doesn't even remember him. And Ned is coming on really strong and really, really friendly. And of course, Phil's a big fat jerk and he's trying to get away from him. And we see him step in a puddle of water. Of course, Phil goes on to have these repeated interactions a million times throughout the film. But I have a little trivia nugget for you. This is a fun one. In Woodstock, Illinois, where Phil runs into Ned, there is a plaque on a building that reads Ned's Corner, (laughs) where they continually run into each other, which is kind of fun. And then where he steps in the puddle, there's another plaque that says, Bill Murray stepped here. You can go to Woodstock, Illinois, and you can find it. 
That's cute. Isn't that fun? So Phil's bad attitude continues throughout the field segment. And it's clear he just wants to get the hell out of Punxsutawney. Like after the segment, he's like, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. And there's all this talk about a possible blizzard. He's like, nope, it's not happening. Let's go. Let's get out of here. I'm going to have this other job interview. I got to go. And then they get stuck in the blizzard and they have to turn around back to Punxsutawney. And that's where he is because Punxsutawney blows, Katie. So this is an interesting sort of tie-in to Schitt's Creek, actually, because I think what they capture, though, at this festival is that, like, it's this cute, small town. And if you, you probably have not lived in small towns, but... I have not. Small towns do have, like, their own little vibe and their own little festivals, much like Stars Hollow on the Gilmore Girls. It's a little campy and it's a little, like, different than what happens in, in larger cities and towns. But... It's also meaningful to the people who live there. Absolutely. It's part of their town history. It's part of preserving the culture of that space. part of something fun to do when you live in a small town. Sure. And so the idea of like these big city people coming in and kind of shitting all over it is an interesting concept. and, And it carries through the film where he has to really learn the magic of a small town, which also is like the overriding theme of Schitt's Schitt's Creek. Creek. So interesting. They want to get the hell out of there so fast. And then they come to really appreciate and love and contribute to the town. To the town. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Drawn some parallels there 20 years (laughs) apart. (laughs) Thanks, Chris Elliott. (laughs) More than 20 years apart. Oh, now I feel old. (laughs) (laughs) So the very next day, 6 a.m., I got you, babe. Phil wakes up. WTF. He obviously assumes like anyone would, like the DJs are playing yesterday's tape. He mentions deja vu. He's just super weirded out. And this actually reminded me, (laughs) Kate, remember that time when you got up in the quote morning to go to the gym? (laughs) And and I don't know, something was just a little off. I, I would like you to tell that story. So I went through a phase in high school. I must have been like 16 or 17 where I would get up really early to go to the gym. And this is actually held true. I hate working out at the gym when it's crowded. So yeah. if you go really early in the morning, it's really only the hardcore people that are there. They take it very seriously. It's not crowded. Nobody bugs you. So I would do that. And the gym that I worked out at was super crowded. And so I just was in this habit. I think I would get up at like 5.30, throw on my clothes, jump in the car, go to the gym and workout. You know how when you go to sleep late and you're worried about getting up the next morning? So this is what happened to me. So I had gotten to sleep a little late one night, later than usual, and I was worried that I wasn't going to wake up in time. So I think what happened is I woke up and like, I think I thought I overslept my alarm. Because when I looked at my clock radio, I didn't look at the hour. I just looked at the minutes. Okay. And I was like, oh, no, but I still have time. So I, like, jump out of bed and I throw on my clothes and I walk out the front door. And, like, here's the first clue that I get that something's <laughs> weird. many, many clues. <laughs> <laughs> and because I, like, noted each one of them, it's not like I went back and was like, Oh, that, I bet that would have been true. Like, nope, I saw it. Like, so there was always a star when I walked out in the morning because I would have been facing never east. I would have been facing east. <laughs> like never eat shredded wheat. <laughs> yeah. So the star's not there. And I'm like, oh. Huh. And I get in my car and I 
turn on my car. And I feel like you used to listen to like, I don't know, a certain DJ in the morning at that time or yeah, something. Probably like pirate radio. Oh, ooh, 100.3 pirate radio. Yeah, that's my guess. You turned on the radio and you were like, oh, so that was like the second thing like you clocked. Number two. I'm not right. even out of my driveway yet. Right. <laughs> so then I'm driving and I'm also thinking, oh, there's not a lot of people on the road right now. Okay. So clue three. So there's like a little downtown area that I would pass by. And you approach a bank that has a clock. So there's a bank in this downtown area. You know how some of them have like the temperature and the time Mm -hmm. that flashes? And it says like 3.30 in the morning or something. And I'm like, oh, they need to fix their clock. (laughs) So this is like clue number four. (laughs) But I just keep going. Keep going. Going to the gym. Ready to go to the gym. So anyway, so I go and I get to the gym and there's like the parking lot's totally empty. (laughs) And I'm like, what? What? And and it is weird. It's like for a moment, like you feel like you're kind of like in this odd alternate reality. Like, and then all of a sudden I was like, oh, it's like three in the morning. It was like this weird, surreal feeling. You're like, something's wrong. And like, you've known, right? There's been like little clues all along to tell you something's wrong, but you don't quite get it. And then all of a sudden it like washes over you and then you just feel kind of stupid. But in those few moments, it's, there's like all this dissonance in your brain about like what's going on. That for sure happened to me when our house was burglarized. I came home from work and I had a baby in the car with me and my husband had, he would go to work after me. Mm -hmm. So I would come home to the state of the house, you know, the way he left it. So I came home, I drove into the garage, I go to go into the house and we always keep the door locked. Well, it was unlocked. Damn it, husband, thinking in my mind. Mm-hmm. Damn it, husband. Anybody could have just walked in here. Exactly. <laughs> Which, okay. Ironically. <laughs> they did. I'm walking through the house and I notice his acoustic guitar is laying on the floor. And of course, we have a baby who's crawling. And I'm like, why would he leave his acoustic guitar on the floor? On the floor. I go upstairs. All the lights are on. What? Now, keep in mind, our house was burglarized, but it was not destroyed. You know how sometimes, you know, people go in and they just... Like they ransack it. Nothing in the house was in major disarray. Nothing. It was just a little off. It was off. And so it was all very confusing. And I, I'm just getting progressively angrier at my husband because <laughs> the ho- I like to come home to a clean house. I'm like, what kind of morning did he have? I'm just getting like so irritated. And I called him at work to yell at him. <laughs> for the state that he left the house. It's like, I'm working all day. I have two kids. I've got a baby with me. I've got to make dinner. I don't need to come home to this. I was pissed. And he's like, Lori, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Check the sliding glass door. And we had curtains drawn. And I pull back the curtain and the sliding glass door is wide open. And he tells me, get, get out, of the, out house. of the house. And I was so panicked. But again, it was all these clues that like they weren't making sense. Nothing was Mm -hmm. adding up until all of a sudden it smacks you in the face. Right. Okay. So it's, again, that day two, right? He runs into Ned again. 
he asks Rita for a slap in the face, which she gladly gives him because he's an right. asshole. And he tells her, like, I'm just, I'm feeling really weird. And this is when he breaks the pencil and puts it on the nightstand only to see right. it whole again the very next morning. So here we are again, 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 and again. And he's getting increasingly freaked out that he has to relive this day. And he's almost even trying to, like, outrace his interactions. You notice? Like, he's trying to... Mm-hmm. To like outrace the interaction with the B&B hostess and outchase Ned. and Right. Because he realizes he can just be even more of an asshole than he already has been because it doesn't matter. It's just going to all repeat. So like right. I deal with the unpleasantness. Exactly. And he asks Rita to meet him at the diner and he tells her like straight up. Um, I'm reliving this day over and over again, and I need some help. Like, I'm scared. And so he ends up at the doctor's, who is played, the doctor's played by Harold Ramis. Oh. Bill Murray and Harold Ramis have a long history together. They did Caddyshack together. They did Ghostbusters together. And sadly. This movie ended at all. (laughs) This movie ended their friendship. I mean, they had worked together for a long time. And the reason the movie ended the friendship was mostly due to creative differences And Murray was going through a divorce during the filming of this. Ramis told The New Yorker, at times, Bill was just irrationally mean and unavailable. He was constantly late on set. What I'd want to say to him is just what we tell our children. Quote, you don't have to throw tantrums to get what you want. Just say what you want. Harold Ramis died in 2014, but he and Bill did essentially kind of make up before his passing. Which is nice, but it's just a shame. They lost a lot of years there. Right. Which, I mean, you know, friendships do sometimes go through difficult times. And yeah, and sometimes working together can exacerbate those. But yeah, and sometimes you get the chance for them to to come back. And sometimes you don't. Let's hope that doesn't happen with this podcast, Katie. We have a history. I mean, we've made it 44 years. So. Yes, but we've only been working together in this capacity That's for true. a few months. So. And I mean, we did we did hit some bumps in the road. Like high school was a little. We had oh, some, yes, we did. Uh, but we made it through. So the doctor tells him, you're okay. I think maybe you need to go to a psychologist. And he does. And that's a really funny scene. And clearly what Bill Murray's dealing with is far outside the wheelhouse of this this small small town town. psychologist. (laughs) So Phil's like, I don't even know what to do. He ends up at a bowling alley drinking with some like, you know, local townies. And he tells them, this is funny, the story of how he once had this great day in the Virgin Islands where he met a woman on vacation, which... Vacation romance. Check out episode 10 cocktail for more (laughs) (laughs) details on that. And he says, like, we ate amazing food and had drinks. We made love at midnight. And why can't I have a day like that over and over again? Mm -hmm. Which made me think, like, do I have one day that I would really love to experience over and over again? Do you? I do. Because I thought the same thing when he was talking about that. Okay. What's your day? What I pick. So I once fell in love with a guy that I, I loved very deeply and we have a very deep and good connection, but it uh, we didn't end up having a relationship. Okay. You know, a traditional romantic relationship. You have a soul connection. Right. And so, but often because we had like this deep soul connection, when we would spend time together, we would end up in these like deep, intense conversations about life and love and all of that stuff. So, which isn't bad. It was just most of the time to 
together was spent like at a table with like coffee or tea or something and having these deep conversations. And uh, one day I had a really super fun, gigantic Labrador retriever uh, foster dog. So he came to visit and we just kind of went out for the day with the foster dog and we went for a hike uh, through beautiful wilderness. Uh, We got lost. I found our way out, which I was super proud of. Uh, Yes. (laughs) Never eat shredded wheat. (laughs) And then we went and I think we went and got something to eat and oh gosh like this is such a simple day and it's like so it was a magic day anymore but like then when we were going to drive to this kind of secret beach on the lake that he knew and we passed all these cherry orchards and he's like oh let's stop and pick some cherries and so we did that and then we went to this hidden little beach on the lake and he knows a ton about geology found a bunch of fossils drove back home I think maybe I had like had dinner cooking in the slow cooker. It was just, it was just this really beautiful, fun day. And like, we sort of put all of the like heaviness of our connection aside and just really enjoyed each other's company. And it just, that's beautiful. Yeah. It's one of my favorite days. Yeah. So if I could relive that day again and again, like, sure. I am a huge fan of like the small magic moments and that's really where you find like the real soul feed in parenting. But I was thinking if I had a day to live over and over again, this was not a simple day. (laughs) It was actually the (laughs) most extraordinary day. We had the opportunity to go to Hong Kong in 2018 and as a family and That was lucky. Oh, it was amazing. We ended up on Lantau Island in Hong Kong, and there is a giant Buddha statue called the Tian Tan Buddha, and it's so massive. It's such a sight to behold. It's majestic. There's a monastery there, and you get there. I mean, I'm sure there might be another way to get there, but we took like the world's most insane sky gondola like people mover there. And it was terrifying and amazing. And we went in a crystal cabin. I believe it's called Nong Ping 360. It was a magical day. And I think about that day often and my kids talk about it all the time. And that would be my preferred Groundhog Day if I could do it over and over again. Uh, I love this though. Like I love how like our stories are so different. They're so different, but I do often find the beauty in the smaller moments. Well, and I think I travel, like my life has been very full of a lot of like, wow, I'm seeing this big historic thing. And you haven't had the opportunity to travel as much. So it kind of makes sense, right? You get a lot of like everyday connection moments and not as many like big, awesome travel moments. And I get a lot of big, awesome travel moments, but not as many like day-to-day connection moments. Right. Right. Yeah. It was, it was pretty remarkable. But back to Phil and his um, non-magical day in Punxsutawney. Phil is like a vacation romance day over and over again wouldn't be so bad, but he's desperate. And he he asks the drunk guys, what would you do if there was no tomorrow? And they're like, dude, there's no consequences. You can do whatever you want. Right, and right. this is when we kind of see Phil turn bad Phil. Right. And like, but before that also, like, I talked about this earlier when he says, like, what would you do if you were stuck in one place and every day was exactly yeah. the same and nothing you did mattered? And the dude in the bar is like, that about sums it up for me. And I literally like choked on my water in that moment <laughs> because I was like, doesn't it just sum it up for all of us? Yeah, it's true, right? Like, oh, we identify so, so much. Right. But I really feel like this moment is like the crux of the film. Like, this is where it turns, like you said, from being like, 
oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Like he feels really powerless up until this point. Right. And then he sort of takes his power in a strange direction. Because he's a dick. Right. Um, Although I'm not a dick. And I think I might've been like, oh, I could do whatever I want. Yeah. <laughs> like, maybe let's just try this out. Let's see like, how there's this no goes. consequences. Nobody gets hurt. Like, yeah, and sure. you know what? He does a lot of, like, sort of naughty things. I mean, he punches Ned. He eats everything <laughs> in the world. He seduces Nancy Taylor and calls her Rita a couple of times, right? Right. I mean, he professes right. his love to her and proposes just so he can get in her pants. On their first, first date. date. And which you have to really be like... Okay, I see why he's doing it. But like, what's up with her? Why being is she like, so naive? Oh, right. yeah. Because she's like, oh, is this just a one night stand? And he's like, no, I've always loved you. I want to marry you. And she's like, oh, okay. Like, how are you not like, okay, this is scary. <laughs> this is scary. I mean, I think in her her maybe little sort of simple lovesick way it's like oh well he's loved me since high school and he's like a star he's a reporter but and I think also she just provides a really nice contrast to Rita later in the film yes agreed so I mean he goes as far as stealing money from an armored truck sort of armored truck ish ish under I mean, careful, careful watch. <laughs> yes, careful observation. And so, you know, he's just doing whatever he wants, whatever feels good in the moment. And however many days later, he asks Rita, if you only had one day to live, what would you do? And then he asks her a million questions about herself because he's trying to get important intel. Like he's going right. to seduce her. Right. And she's hesitant. Like she's even hesitant of his interest. Like, why are you asking me so much? But she's honest and she tells him, I want marriage and kids. I want someone. And this is her list of qualities in a partner. And I think it's a pretty great list. She wants someone humble, intelligent, supportive, funny, romantic, courageous, kind, sensitive, gentle, likes animals and kids, loves his mom, and plays a musical instrument. (laughs) Don't we all want that, Rita? Don't we all? Oh, I feel like you got a lot of those now that I think about it. Yeah, I actually kind of did, didn't I? It's because you prayed for your partner. When I, you were I like, did pray for my partner. This is where I have gone wrong. Yeah, check people. out the Margaret episode. Yeah. Are you there, God? We because, break it yeah, down. Checked off. And I, I do, I have to say, I do have a thing, like not just any musical instrument, but like the guitar. guitar. The guitar is my weakness. It'll do it. Yeah, yeah, it'll do it. So he memorizes her bar drink and they toast to world peace because he has learned that that's what she likes to do. And then she asks him, have you ever had deja vu? Right. So like somehow she This feels familiar to her, little, which is interesting. Yeah. She's able to see through the veil a right. little bit. His approach is basically like, oh, I'm just going to keep learning about her, right? Because like first he learns about the sweet vermouth and then right. he learns about, and then he kind of forgets about like the world peace part of it. So then he like adds that in the next time. And so it's true that when you meet somebody, like I have a friend that I met and as we started to talk, we had like all these crazy things in common that were like so random um, and people we knew in common. And it does give you like an affinity to a person, right? You're kind of like, oh, we have so much in common. Like, right. of course we'll be friends. So if somebody's used that to manipulate you into like it's not real you don't really have those things in common but you can see how somebody would fall for it and be like oh this person like like it feels like kismet right they like all the same things I like exactly Um, it feels special and it feels like cosmic in some way you're like oh it's so weird that like we got brought together in this space 
Right. So he learns that she was studying French poetry in 19th century French poetry. Specifically. And, you know, they're at dinner and she's beginning to like him. Obviously, he's saying all the right things and he begins to recite French poetry. And here's a fun fact. The French poem he recites is from the 1957 Jacques Brel song, which the title is translated to Bachelor's Dance. And it says, quote, the girl that I will love will be like a fine wine that will become better a bit every morning. I'm like, oh, that's actually really sweet. That's interesting. They're having a pretty epic date, actually. They dance in the falling snow and they build a snowman. You know, hyperlink, see episode six, wham, last Christmas. We talk about our our thoughts about frolicking in the snow. There's another moment in this movie at the very end that also reminded me of oh, yes. last Christmas. <laughs> because they that. don't open the gate. They just step over Do the Do you fence. know why they don't open the gate? No. It's because it was actually frozen shut, IRL. Oh, that'll do it. So she tells him this was a perfect day. And basically, probably like one that she wouldn't mind living over and over again, like your beautiful day. And he invites her to his room and they kiss. And she's like, you know, this is moving a little too fast. And he's bargaining hard. And I I always freaking hate that. Just makes me feel uncomfortable. But I know it's probably supposed to come off as like mildly endearing. But she is saying no. Like, let's be real clear. But In a small way, I kind of get it only because, like, he does not have the luxury of time to build this relationship. If he were, like, a really amazing person all through the rest of the film and he hadn't completely manipulated her to get her to this point, I might be like, okay. But no, she's totally right. Yeah, and at this point in the film, like, I don't know that his love for her has actually developed. I mean, he just wants to get in her pants. Exactly. So he tells her, I love you. And she's like, you don't even know me. I could never love anyone like you, Phil, because you could never love anyone but yourself. And she slaps him. And there's just more days and more slaps from Rita. And McDowell said in an interview with The Wrap, he asked me to really slap him. It's hard to hit someone that many times. So Phil Murray was getting slapped all over the place. And so we just see more days and more slaps. And the longer Phil finds himself in this horrible, repeated day, his anger is increasing. Like we see him moving through the stages of grief. Right. I mean, he calls the Groundhog Day crowd at the festival hypocrites. His winter prediction is it's going to be cold and it's going to last you the rest of your life. (laughs) And we can all relate to that, can't we? He steals the groundhog, drives it off a cliff. (laughs) He says, there's no way this winter is ever going to end. I have to stop Phil. And he kidnaps Phil, the groundhog. And it was sort of like a Caddyshack moment, right? Like, Mm -hmm. here we are again, Bill Murray, animal right (laughs) thing like he drives off the cliff with the groundhog it bursts into flames larry's filming it you know he tries to kill himself multiple times um this is where the the movie takes a really dark turn like (laughs) toaster in the bathtub stepping in front of a truck jumping from a clock tower rita has to id the body I know, right? It's a good thing nobody else can remember because this would be very traumatizing. It's very for traumatic. <laughs> uh, but he's just like, yeah, I died again and here I am. <laughs> here I am next morning. And there's another dinner where he's with Rita and he tells her, I'm a god. And he's like, I'm not the god. I'm a god. She's like, um, I assure you, you are not a god. 
And he basically predicts everything that's going to happen in real time. And it happens. And she's like, uh, what is even happening? This is when we see them together, like back in his room. And they're having like just a really sort of cool moment. You know, this is when they're tossing the cards into a hat. And this is when like Bill starts to become sort of human and real for the first time. Right. Don't you see this is the turning point for him? Yeah, because I mean, if you think about all of the stuff that she shares with him up until this point, it's all lovely. Like she's a lovely human being and it doesn't sink in. He's just like, okay, noted. So I can, you know, use that to my advantage. And I think this is where he starts to be like, oh, she's a person. And like he begins to really fall for her. Yeah. And he does say, quote, the worst part is that tomorrow you'll think I'm a jerk. Right. And she doesn't leave though. They lay together, and he reads her poetry. And this, in real life, was inspired by his own wedding night when his wife fell asleep. And he just read to her, and he watched her sleep. And I love being read to and reading to people. There's like, I don't know why, there's something so intimate about that to me. And it happens in this moment. Yeah. It's sweet. Because there is such a shift in Phil's character, Harold Ramis said that whenever he would try to like discuss a scene with Bill Murray about like how it should be played, Bill would just interrupt him and be like, just tell me, just tell me, good Phil or bad Phil? That's all I need to know. Every director loves that. You're trying to give your actor a note and they're like, just to the point, get to the point. So while she's sleeping though, he tells her that she's the kindest, prettiest person he's ever seen. And he knew he wanted to hold her. He said he didn't deserve her, but would cherish her if he could have her. So, yeah. So we're starting to see like, oh, he's starting to get it. He's starting to get it. His icy heart is melting. It's growing three sizes. So the next morning, he's different. I mean, it's it's the same day, but he's different. She's not with him when he wakes up. But... No, that's an important note. He was hoping that she would be there. But he gives money to the homeless man. He brings coffee and pastries to Larry and Rita. Mm -hmm. And he even helps Larry with his equipment. He's being helpful. Yes. Uncharacteristically so. Yes. He's taking piano lessons. And he's making ice sculptures. And the scene where he runs into Ned and he hugs him an uncomfortably long time. When he says, like, I don't know where you're heading, but can you call in sick? That was improvised by Bill Murray. Oh my gosh. And it's hilarious because sometimes that's the only way to get rid of people like that is to like outdo them. Like (laughs) like you're making me really uncomfortable. So now I'm going to make you uncomfortable. And it's unfortunate. So yeah, he outdid him and, and he takes the homeless man to the hospital and learns that he passed away. And so we then cut to him in the diner with the homeless man because he's actually trying to save his life. Now he's starting to realize that he can actually have a positive impact on the world around him. Right. And so he kind of makes this his project and he wants to know, like, why did he die? Like, how can I fix it? And the nurse is like, sometimes people just die. I think that also is an important turning point because unfortunately the, the guy just keeps dying no matter what he does. Like, make the most of what you have, even if it feels a little bit meaningless sometimes. Make the most of it because it's not a gift everyone gets to enjoy. Watching it in the context of this pandemic and Safer at Home and everything that's been going on kind of really did sort of like hit me in the feels. You know, I was like, oh, right. Like, just because it's always the same 
every day and it starts to feel like it's always going to be like this and nothing's ever going to be different, what can you do? Like, how can you have an impact? Because unfortunately, in the circumstances we're in, there are people who aren't going to make it through this. And so I'm sorry, I got very serious there right now, but, <laughs> um, but it's true. And this gave me a little bit of like, to, you know, do better. I was surprised by sort of the depth of this movie. <laughs> right? Like it it has layers. Because like I said, in the beginning, I was like, how is the movie about the same day going to be good? And it is. It's it really is. good. It's more than good. Yeah. So at the next Groundhog Festival, he gives his segment. And it's like actually really profound and beautiful. And the town is really touched by it which shows that he is not only paying an appropriate amount of respect and homage to the history of this town, but he's changing as a person. And everyone's impressed. Rita asks him to coffee, and he asks her for a rain check. Girl, he has errands to run, which includes... to save a boy falling out of a tree. Who in real life is played by Sean Shaihabat, who interestingly grew up to be a local TV news reporter. Oh, that's funny. Isn't that cute? Anyway, so he's basically going around like just doing guardian angel work. He's just a good Samaritan now. Because now he knows all the things that aren't going to go wrong in a day. Exactly. uh, Because he's had 40 years to figure it out. (laughs) 10, 30, or 40, unclear, but a really long time. And, I mean, he's, like, fixing old ladies' tires, and he gives that guy the Heimlich maneuver. And so we're now at the big Groundhog Day banquet, and we see him playing jazz piano like a boss. So he's had enough time to learn. And keep in mind that his piano teacher is like, oh, he's just learning. (laughs) He's just learning. He's had, like, a lesson gets to dance with Rita and this is when like she starts to learn the kind of man that Phil is it's it's a different man than she had known him up to this point so like he impressed her at the Groundhog Day Festival but now all the townspeople are coming and saying oh my god thank you for you know saving this person thank you for doing this kind thing he's like wow like you've really made an impression on the town like in her mind he's been here a day And then he's been here the few years before he's covered the festival. Right, that he's popped in for a day. Right, like how has one person made such an impression on the town in such a short amount of time? She digs him and there's a bachelor auction. Yeah, I think it was a fundraiser bachelor auction. And and so they auctioned him off first. Right. And and my favorite moment in this is so so the ladies of the town are bidding and they get to like $60, $60 or $65. Right. And then we see Rita looking at her checkbook register. Which I keep a checkbook register in real time. So like these days, most people would be looking at their phone, but not Lori. Lori would be right there back in 1993. <laughs> I write checks sometimes. I still do it. I mean, it's not a regular I thing do I do, but too. I do it. But I have my budgeting software on my phone. She looks at her check register because this was before smartphones. And she calls out $339.88. She wins him. And in the end, turns out he's worth it. He he is worth it. They kiss in the falling snow. And uh, the next day, 6 a.m., he wakes up to I've Got You, Babe. And he's like, fudge. But then different dialogue from the DJs. And we pan over and we see she's in bed with him. And it was actually a big debate. The director asked the crew, like, what do you think? Should they still be in their clothes? 
Or should they not? And they were, weren't they? They were in their clothes. Because he starts to smooch on her once he realizes it's a different day. And she's like, why weren't you like this last night? So Mm -hmm. we get the sense that like, he didn't try, right? That he has- He didn't try. They didn't sleep together. They just had a perfect evening together. Which I think was the right choice. I do too. Because, not necessarily because like, it's horrible if somebody decides to do that, but because he had been so focused on like getting into her pants. Right. That it really shows the arc of his character through the film. He can't believe she's there. He pinches her, which I loved. It's like, you stay with me all night. Let me pinch you. And then he says, is there anything I can do for you today? Right. So we've seen that he's come full circle. Yeah. And so, hey, man, it's February 3rd. He made it out and he tells her, I love it here. Let's live here. Like, let's live here. He couldn't wait to get out, which is a little bit like Schitt's Creek, right? Right. It's like David, right? It's exactly right. Like, let's live here. And basically, this is, you know, in the final shot where they are together out in the snow outside the bed and breakfast, and he carries Rita over the gate. <laughs> that cannot Much be like wham. <laughs> that had to be why, Katie. You kept asking, why did they keep climbing over the gate in Maybe. the last Christmas I video? Mean- I bet you it was frozen shut. They were low budget for last Christmas, so I see that they maybe couldn't get like a heater out there to right. deal with it. But. In Groundhog Day? Like, really? (laughs) You couldn't get an extension cord and a blow dryer and take care of that? Well, they just decided, why bother, right? But Bill Murray and Harold Ramis have both been honorary grand marshals for the Groundhog Day celebrations in Punxsutawney. That is cute. And Groundhog Day, let's talk about the legacy of it for a second. It was adapted into a musical in 2016. And I read this in Rolling Stone. It moved Bill Murray to tears. He said, because he had said before that he didn't really like this film. Maybe it was the whole, like... I'm getting divorced in the middle of filming. And Harold (laughs) Ramis and, like, what happened with our friendship. And, like, maybe it just left a sour taste in his mouth. But the musical moved him to tears. And he said, quote, the idea that we just have to try again, it's such a beautiful and powerful idea. And it is. Try again until you get it right. Keep trying. And and that we're all going to screw up sometimes and just keep going. And then I think really the message is when you start to think about other people and not just yourself, that that's when things really start to change. And even if you're still living the same day over and over and over again, if you have an outward focus, and I don't care if your outward focus is like the plant in your house, just having an outward focus does make things better when it seems unbearable. Outward focus initiates inward change, right? Right. Ooh, check that out. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. I try. No, but it's true. Like if you're spending your energy caring for someone or something else, no matter what it is, it inevitably begins to change you in a positive way. And that's what happened to Phil's character. And it sounds like time and perspective has done that to Bill Murray. This really is good for the heart in the world that feels much the same every day. It just felt so fitting and so fun. And it was kind of nice to see someone trapped in a deja vu hell. And to find their way out of it in the end with love by their side. (laughs) There you go. And probably the greatest part of all is you can enjoy this with your family. It is rated PG. There's nothing terrible in it. It's pretty wholesome. I mean, he's he's kind of a jerk, but it's pretty wholesome. <laughs> right. Like he's a dick, but like he doesn't use bad words and there's no, there's nothing shocking. So it's a great family movie. If you've been, you know, kind of sheltered in place with your family and every day is much the same, you'll all get a good laugh out of it. So yeah. 
Well, I do want to say too, though, Bill Murray and the Groundhog did reunite. Did you know this? I did not know this. In last year's Super Bowl commercial for Jeep, they reunited. Oh, it was the same Groundhog? Oh, no, I don't think it was the same Groundhog. Oh, I'm right, just saying, how, like, how like Scooter's like super dead by now. <laughs> I'm sorry. May he rest in peace. That was really stupid. <laughs> I am a medical professional. I do understand how long animals live. Actually, if this was filmed in 93... <laughs> And really 92, right? Because it was released in 93. Yeah, there you, there you go. <laughs> that would make the groundhog like 28 years old. And that's just, I don't know how long they live. <laughs> how long do they live? It's like, if it was a tortoise, it would still be a youngin. Oh, Katie, I feel like now, this is important. <laughs> we need to know how long the groundhog lives on average. Because like horses live a long time and they're big and Maybe I'm not as dumb as I thought. Okay. You are as dumb as I thought. <laughs> they live to be about six years old. Oh. Maybe it was Scooter's well. descendants. It wasn't Scooter. May Scooter rest in peace. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. If you can't wait to hear more, please remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you're feeling chatty, feel free to drop us a line at theuntitledgenxpodcast.com. We hope you keep in touch, beautiful people. Bye. Bye.